You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. Find out together in real time. Please welcome Amanda Coleman. Right. I have done a couple of true stories before, but tonight I've just got very, very nervous. I said I wouldn't drink all my wine, and I have, and I've actually licked the glass clean and ran my finger around it until Ruth just kindly went off and bought me another drink. I've needed a wee, I've needed a poo, and the thing that's actually kept me like really stable tonight is the fact that last night I left to come out, and I've been away all weekend, and I packed my bag for something with rehearsals today, then I had to do something else, then I had to come here. And the thing that's actually really annoying is um, I accidentally packed my daughter's knickers I never size 8 to 10, and I'm definitely not a size 8 to 10. So I just want to share with you the discomfort that I'm actually feeling right now. <laughs> and I'm really sorry. I did wonder how that was going to be interpreted with the, you know, tight knickers and everything, and bits hanging over the top and coming out underneath, and I'm breathing in. So I just want you to all know my <laughs> discomfort right now. Thanks. <laughs> anyway, I'm wearing them. I got them on, <laughs> which is a miracle. Um, so I, I hadn't intended to do a two-story tonight, and I had a call at the beginning of the week to say, would I do one? And I thought, oh, God, really? Okay, I could tell the story of my last two weeks, which sounds a bit prophetic. It's not actually my last two weeks. I hope it's not, because they've been shit. So I'll just like, tell you, and it's a story about, like, this has honestly just been my life for the last two weeks, and... So I was sailing along the courses of sea of not tranquility, because my life isn't very tranquil with me at the helm. So um, <laughs> it was all a bit chaotic, as usual. But you know when you just think that you've got enough to do, and the summer is planned out, and we've got a couple of plays to do. I'm doing another play at work. I work with adults with learning disabilities. I've got loads of stuff, a couple of festivals, loads of things sorted out. And then my life was completely chucked off course by something that I hadn't anticipated, hadn't seen coming. And it was on Bank Holiday Monday a couple of weeks ago. And we'd all been out for a nice walk. And we came back and I was a couple of ciders in to cooking a meal for eight people. When, <laughs> when the call went out, one of those eight people said, oh, can I just quickly ask, has anybody come from South Horsham? Good, that's always a relief when I'm telling a story about my neighbours, like how I accidentally poisoned their dog and all of the other things that I've actually come clean about on this stage. Anyway, the call went out. Liz is coming. And I saw her. I saw my landlady walking across the grass. And I thought, fuck. And I'm 50-something. And my first impulse was to just quickly turn around and grab all of the smoking paraphernalia that was on the table, rush off in the other room and hide it up because I didn't want her to see it because I just... I don't know why. Anyway, I came back in the kitchen. She's at the door. She came in and exchanged some pleasantries. And we don't get on that well. And we, I don't think we really like each other very much. And she's really scary. She's really scary. She's a midwife. 
And she's really scary in that midwife way that only a student nurse or a student midwife would ever understand. I don't know if anybody's been a student nurse or student midwife. Yes, Ruth, so you understand how scary midwives can be. And she's po-faced, stony-faced, stood at the door, exchanging pleasantries. And all I wanted to say was like, what do you want? And so she came in and wanted to go off somewhere quiet to speak to me. And there wasn't anywhere because the house was full of people. So anyway, she delivered a section 21 to me, which is basically saying I've got to leave my house. And we've just got to, we've just got to go. We've got all this stuff planned out, like leaving, packing up all of my shite and moving and finding somewhere else to live and the money to do it and moving my three country cats somewhere else just wasn't in my plan. And um, it just sent me off course and I couldn't look at her and I was just like the world just kind of zoomed in and became really, really small. And the other four people in the kitchen became really silent. And she was saying, I'll give you two months notice. I mean, I'm being really generous because we could legally only give you 48 days. I was like, who would do that to anybody? Who would just give you 48 days to pluck your life out of from where you are to find somewhere else to live and go? Anyway, she got the paperwork with her. She was, came prepared. And, and luckily, my partner, Floyd, was, was chopping up vegetables. And he said, look, we can't, we can't leave in, in 48 days because we've got all of these plans for the summer. We've got a couple of plays that we've got to do. So she said, OK, so we agreed to leave on August the 11th. And I signed the papers. But then she stood there for about another 10 minutes, I think because she didn't know what to do and everybody in the room just really wanted her to leave so we could all just go, what the fuck was that about? You know, what are we going to do? Um, and, and, and moan about her, really, and bitch about her and, you know, whatever, and say things like, well, you know, we're just going to drive across the grass now because they've banned us from driving on the grass and we're just going to sit in our caravan all the time because they think our caravan is an eyesore. We think it's a vintage caravan. Or we're just going to sit on the gate that they don't like us sitting on, and all those other stupid things. And I was saying, well, we're going to do this, and it'll be fine. Like Half an hour later, I was in tears in the garden, catastrophizing, thinking, what on earth am I going to do? And this went on all night. I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning, sat in the garden, heard the dawn chorus, which is something I should have done before now, because it was lovely and beautiful, and it was raining. And I couldn't sleep. My heart was pounding. I sat on the sofa all night thinking, I can't even remember what I signed. It was a massive shock. So the next day, there I was, feeling panicked again. It's just something that completely turned my life upside down. A friend took the day off work the following day, helped me start to pack. Which is when I realized I know how much stuff I've got. I know that my children think I'm a hoarder. However, I like to think that I hoard responsibly. Because actually everything, virtually everything I have ever got rid of, I have lamented. And some of it was 25 years ago, and I still regret getting rid of it. And I know that it's a burden, and, and, but I have all of this stuff because it could come in handy one day and I can lend it to people and might need it and might use it. So I've got all of this crap, loads of it, and I'm not very organized and the thought of packing. And then we couldn't find anywhere to live. And it's also expensive and we haven't got much money. And, and house prices are really expensive. It's expensive to rent. We suddenly find out that some people have more than one house and they have a portfolio of properties. And, you know, people want holiday homes. They have holiday homes. Like nobody wants to go camping anymore and eat meatballs and have camp coffee. They have to have a cafetiere and, 
a, a, a thing to cook a risotto in or something. It's all really fancy and posh. Anyway, so we've been plunged in, I'm going on now, I've gone off course, but we've all been plunged into this like panic of finding somewhere to live. Friends have been lovely and looking out for us to find somewhere to live. We've had it on Facebook. My main concern has dwindled down from like needing a kitchen table that we can all eat around to mainly my main concern has been about our three country cats who have never seen a road to suddenly thinking, where are they going to live? I actually don't know. Nobody, there's lots of landlords who don't want to have animals or children or smoking in their house. You know, just feeling like you're at the whim of somebody else dictating where your life is going. It's been really hard. So I spent the first week ranting, crying, smoking fags, drinking red wine, going basically mad. And then last Monday, I got laryngitis and my voice completely disappeared. And I'm a talker. And suddenly, I couldn't cope. And what the earth am I going to do now? Now I can't speak. I have to internalize everything and like keep it to myself and become calm and fucking reflective, which isn't at all what I had intended to do. That wasn't suiting my way of like dealing with stuff. It was all bursting out and I couldn't get rid of any of it all. And I had to do this whisper because when you, when you have laryngitis, um, obviously talking is impossible. But whispering is really bad for your vocal cords. So you have to kind of breathe out and talk in this way, which is really creepy. My children hated it. And I couldn't get heard. And they were all just like sitting there going, oh, is somebody making a sound? I can't really hear. Mum, are you saying something? No, she's not. And it was, it was all really, really hard. Work was hard. I had a week off work because working with adults with learning disabilities is really hard if you can't get heard. So I've had this, um, this week of my life just being on choppy seas because it's shipwrecked. So I was on choppy seas and then I got the invitation to come and tell a story and I thought, oh God, you know, really, I, I could, maybe I could do the true, first true stories mime or something. That's what I was thinking that might happen. Anyway, we have since found a house, which is the good news. And we're moving in, <laughs> we're moving into Norwich. And I've lived out in the country for 20 years. I'm moving in with my partner, which is something that we hadn't really thought that we'd be doing right now. So that our hand has been forced slightly, but it's okay. It feels okay. feels fine to do that. Okay, Floyd. It's fine. <laughs> I am a massive, massive, colossal commitment phobe. So I have kind of like, had to be like back squirming into a corner and get really slippery about it and think, oh, go on then, all right, yeah, we'll move in. Okay, that'll be fine. And we found a house that the cats can live in, unless they're really, really stupid, they won't go out onto the main road. It's on Deerham Road, and we've got a big field behind the house. And a lovely, hopefully laid-back landlord, not the ones I've just left. So I've gone from, like, being okay, thinking everything was fine, to having this turbulent week, and then a week of not speaking, and just getting everything in my head, to now suddenly thinking, you know what, maybe it's not so bad moving out of South Walsham. I've never really fitted in there. I moved in there when I was pregnant and I had two small children. I'd been homeless for a while and I had the smoky 306 in the village and, you know, everybody's quiet. Nobody spoke to me. I was friends with the vicar's wife, but that was about all. And, um, and, and, and suddenly I'm going to be living in NR2 and Clive Lewis will be my MP. And I just think suddenly I'm going to be heard. My vote will count for something. 
not in this, you know, like this Tory enclave that I live in at the moment, where I have to go around and sabotage all the signs in the, in the, in the bloody farmer's fields and like write stuff on it and get a special pen to do it with and dry the sign off with my cardigan so we can get it written on there. And then whip all the signs down of like Brandon Lewis's face. I had loads of them in my car over the last general election. Nasty, it was horrible. Um, <laughs> and the one Labour sign in the village was in our garden and my neighbours hated it and I had it in my car. So finally, that's good. My voice will get heard in Norwich. I will feel like maybe these are my tribe. But I've been struggling to fit in in South Walsham. So that's one positive that's come out of it. There was others. Uh, <laughs> give me a clue, because I did say one tonight. Floyd. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I've been living with Floyd. <laughs> it's a massive positive, of course. Oh, Oh, the other thing about living out in the country is nobody just pops in. And I kind of miss people popping in, because I have lived in Norwich. So I'm hoping that people will just pop in. Obviously, people that I know, hopefully, <laughs> will just pop in for a cup of tea or something in a chat. But, you know, if people I don't know come in, it might be a bit weird, but it might, we might get to know each other, it'll be fine as well. <laughs> oh, we can have our caravan in the garden. And it won't be called an eyesore anymore. We love that caravan, don't we? It's all pimped up inside and it's all got our horrible decorations up and lovely tassely bits and it's orange and red and blue. And it's not everybody's cup of tea, but we like it. So that will be there in the country. So if anyone wants to come and stay, they'll be to stay in the garden. So I've kind of made something really positive out of something that just hit me like a bolt out of the blue. Completely unexpected, not prepared for it. However... I do still have 17 years of shite to pack up. And I've got a lot of shite. And it's also really dusty, because actually, I realised some friends went off travelling last year, and they came back with all of these stories of things that they'd done for an entire year. And I realised that I haven't actually cleaned the windows or dusted in a whole year. I don't think I've dusted in five years. So there's quite a lot of dusting and cleaning to do. Anyway, so I'm hopefully this will be a positive move, and I'm just feeling amazed how quickly your life from go from being tranquil to chaotic and turbulent and my daughter saying mum we're just the type of family that just could, could fall through the net and become homeless I was like oh no that's actually not what I want to hear but my god that could actually happen couldn't it it could be us it could be us it could be any of us that this happens to but um so now we've found a lovely house with a hippie landlord and lovely friends living nearby. Hope he's a hippie. He seems like a hippie, doesn't he? He seems like he's always the last to leave a party. He's always really pissed and stoned and we have to get rid of him. So I hope he's, you know, not staying around a lot. But <laughs> So, yeah, so life can just go from having a bolt out of the blue, becoming turbulent, catastrophizing, crying, to becoming something quite positive. So that's my last two weeks. That's my shipwreck. <laughs> Amanda Coleman! Thank you, Amanda. True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project. 
brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website, truestorieslive.co.uk. 